So today we're going to be talking about freedom, fasting, and faith. And really, I guess the main theme of today's message that I hope you capture is that Jesus is not about religion. You know, Jesus was kind of anti-religion. Jesus was about relationship. And so that's what we're going to try to talk about today. We're going to talk about how he came to set the captives free. He came to set people free who were bound, who were broken, who were wounded and hurting and lost. And um, we're going to talk about fasting and we're going to talk about some of the religious activities. And then we're also going to talk about faith and how to find faith within your relationship with the Lord. So um, would you mind just praying with me um, before we get into this? Well, Father, first of all, uh, I just want to thank you for so, being so good. Lord, just like we sang that song, you are good. You are good, Lord. Lord, you have promised that you would never leave us. You would never reject us. You would never forsake us. You would never leave us as orphans or leave us on our own, but you would always be there to lead and to guide us into all truth. And we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I just ask that you would speak through me. Let your word speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, we're going to talk about freedom. Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 13. That's where we're going to go. We're going to get through um, verse 13 through 22. So we're working our way through the book of Mark. It says, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. This is the um, Sea of Galilee or the, the lake near Galilee. And he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Some versions say he got up immediately and followed him. Now, Levi is actually the Hebrew name, um, which means disciple. Levi was a, was a Jew, and he was working at the time as a tax collector. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But in, in these days, a lot of times they would have a Hebrew name, the, the Jews would have a Hebrew name, and then they would also have a Greek name. So his Greek name is Matthew. Now he wrote the first of the four Gospels in the New Testament, and Matthew specifically writes to the Jewish audience. He's writing to people who understood the law, who understood the teachings of Judaism. And so in his, actually in the book of Matthew, he he mentions the Old Testament 99 times. He mentions it more than Mark, Luke, and John all put together. So, so this is where this guy's coming from. So he was probably raised um, in the Jewish traditions, and, and yet he believed that Jesus was Messiah. And so when Jesus called him, it says he immediately left his lifestyle, which at the time tax collectors were hated, because they would have to collect the taxes for Rome at the time. And they would like skim off the top. They would, they would add whatever they wanted. And so typically, tax collectors were quite wealthy. So he had a super comfortable lifestyle. And he must have heard of Jesus because Jesus was starting to develop a reputation because he was performing miracles. He was, he was um, casting demons out of people. He was healing people. And so I'm sure Levi or Matthew understood and knew about this because this is in a pretty small town. So he knew 
that Jesus was who he said he was. And so he got up, it says, and he followed him. And in verse 15, it says, later Levi invited Jesus, excuse me, Jesus and his disciples. So remember he had some disciples he had already called to follow with him. He invited his disciples to his, to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. It says, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So now keep in mind, at this time, there were the religious leaders. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the scribes. And all of these people were highly religious. They were very, um, I'm trying to think of a nice word. Um... I can't think of one. They were, um, they came across as very righteous and very self, but they were very self-righteous. And so when it says, when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Now imagine this. Imagine that these are supposed to be the most spiritual among them. These were supposed to be the ones who knew God the most. These are the ones that were supposed to be the ones who offered the hope to others. And yet, they stood back and they judged not only Jesus, but they judged all of the people that came to hang out with Jesus. Now, whether those people were there for for right motives or not, these religious leaders referred to them as scum. And these guys had, they were like, they had the the worst reputation and yet Jesus was hanging out with them. And when I read that, I just thought, you know what? This is like, I heard this one pastor talking about the Saturday night Jesus. You know, the Saturday night Jesus is the one who you want to be with. You want to hang out with him. He's the one that's at the party and he's just loving people and he's hanging out with people and he's probably joking around. It was like, you know, when Michael is talking about the little children, I'll tell you, little kids were attracted to Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus. Now, if you think about it, little kids don't want to be with people that aren't fun because kids are all about fun, right? And so Everywhere Jesus went, the little kids wanted to be with him. And so it it makes me think, you know, we see these pictures of the supposed portrayal of what Jesus looked like, but he always looks kind of serious and kind of somber and, you know, I mean, and, and make no mistake about it. He knew who he was. He knew that he was God who became human and came to be with us. But I have a feeling he was really likable. Don't you? Don't you think Jesus is the kind of guy everybody wanted to come to, to their party? They, it, it wasn't like the Pharisees who people would be like, oh, don't invite them. They're just going to sit and judge us. And isn't that exactly what religion does? Doesn't religion make you feel like you're the scum of the earth? And what, when I say religion, I'm talking about other people imposing their standards on you or other people telling you how you need to live or other people judging you, stepping back and saying, oh, you don't measure up. Sorry, you're not good enough. And here Jesus, God who became human, who became a, a, a physical person and lived a sinless life, 
It's hanging out at the party with the scum of the earth. Think about that. It's amazing to me. But yet, Jesus must have been the Saturday night Jesus. He must have been the likable Jesus, right? Because who'd want to have him at their party if he was, if he was like grouchy or judgmental, right? You don't want those people at your party. You're having a dinner party. And, and yet Levi was so excited, and he probably was wealthy, like I said, so he probably threw this major party, invited all of these people, and they all wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And again, talking about Jesus with the little children. You know, there were so many times he would be going about his way, and then the little kids would come up, and they'd want to be with him. And even his own disciples didn't even understand. They'd be like, you kids, get out of the way. There are more important people here. Well, let me just tell you what Jesus says about kids. He says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. He says, unless you and me, unless we change and become as one of these, we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying he wants us to be immature. (laughs) What he's saying is he wants us to trust. He wants us to believe that he is good. And he wants us to believe that he will never leave us. He will never let us down like we sang that song. You're never going to let me down. But do we really believe that? Do we really, really, truly believe it when we're in the midst of the fire? When When we're going through that raging storm, do we really believe, number one, that God is good, and number two, that he is for us? Do we? It's hard to believe that, because you're like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why would you let me go through this? You can always trust. He is perfect in all his ways, and everything that he does is for our benefit, And I was talking with Ira earlier this week, and he said, I think that your life message is that you can still have hope no matter how dark your season. And that is my life message. Because, you know, even after my husband passed away, God was my everything. Jesus was my everything. And I turned to him, and I found peace, and I found hope. And I found a reason to go on. And so I'm telling you, no matter what season you're in, no matter how dark it is right now, God is good and God is for you. But he wants you to have a childlike faith to believe, you know what? He's going to get me through this. I don't know what God's doing right now, but whatever it is, it's for my good. Because he is good and he can't go outside of his own character. So no matter what you're going through, no matter if you're questioning things and you're doubting and you're, you're anxious or you're depressed, I want you to just remember these two things. God is good and God is for you. And it even says in the Bible, if God is for us, who can be against us? God didn't even spare his only son. He sent his only son to walk with us and to be with us even though the world might look at us and say, that person is a scum of the earth. That person is worthless. The world might say that to you, but what God says about you is, you are my child and I love you 
and I want what's good for you. I want what's best for you. Is it hard to believe that sometimes when you go through a, a rough patch, when, you, when you're being tested? It says, that, it says that he will allow our faith to be tested. Even though our faith is worth more than gold, he'll allow it to go through the fire to refine it so that it will come out pure. God wants us to believe that he's good and that he is for us. Do you believe that today? Do you believe it? Yes. yes. Awesome. That's awesome. If not, maybe by the end of this day, you will. (laughs) Okay, so it says, the teachers are asking, why does he eat with such scum? Now, I don't know about you, but it would have been hard for me at that time to have restraint if I was Jesus, which I'm not. But it would have been hard for me to to know how to respond to these guys. Because here he is, he's, he's hanging out with Levi, the guy that he just invited to come and join him. And he's sitting at his house. And then these religious leaders are like, how could he sit with these disreputable sinners? And this is what, it says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. See, this is the thing. How many of you ever go to the doctor just because you're like, I just feel like I should go to the doctor when you're not sick? Like, who does that? Nobody does that. How many times have you gone to the doctor, however, and you're sick, and then suddenly you get to the doctor's office and all of your symptoms disappear? (laughs) Right after you've written out your (laughs) co-payment. But isn't it true? We don't go to the doctor if we don't think we're sick. As a matter of fact, a lot of people won't even go to the doctor when they think they are sick. That's the reason that a lot of times cancer gets advanced, because people are living in denial. They're like, I don't want to go to the doctor. You know, as though not going to the doctor is going to heal the cancer. But Jesus is saying, it's not, it's not the people who, who don't think they're sick that need a doctor. And what he's saying here is, everybody needs a doctor at some point. All of us are sick, and our disease is called sin. Every single one of us has sinned at some point in our lives. And I always use this as a litmus test. The Ten Commandments. Okay, most of us get knocked out on the first one. (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God above everything else. Love the Lord your God. Don't have anything else that you love more. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us get, that eliminates most people. But, But the Ten Commandments go on and they say, obviously don't kill anybody. That's a sin, right? Don't commit adultery, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. And the promise is, if you honor your father and mother, your days will be well and you will live long upon the earth. It says things will go better for you if you honor your parents. I don't know why. And it doesn't leave a little clause in there that says, if your parents are perfect or if your parents are great. It just says, honor your father and mother. I don't know why. That eliminates a lot of us, at least if you've ever gone through your teens, (laughs) right? It says, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. How many of us have ever lied? Anybody that doesn't have your hand up, guess what? (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) So basically, Jesus is just saying, 
you know what? We're all imperfect. Well, except for him because he was God and he lived a sinless life. But we as humans, we all need a doctor. But Jesus is talking about these religious people who think that because they do this and that and this and that, and they, they would brag about all the things that they did because they were keeping the law, but these scum of the earth people were not. And they somehow thought that because of that, that made them better. And the only people Jesus ever got down on were people who thought they were better than other people. He, he himself got down and washed the feet of his disciples, which was the lowest of the low of tasks. He humbled himself and he calls us to do the same. He calls us to admit when we're wrong. Now, everything about the way of the world says Never admit you're wrong. Cover it up. As a matter of fact, between services, I talked to two separate people who were telling me about medical conditions that had happened to them and how the hospital was trying to cover it up. Like the hospital had done something and they, were, they both were injured by something that the hospital did, but yet the hospital was trying to deny it. You know, and that's the way of the world. We're trying to cover up. We're trying to pretend like we haven't done anything wrong. We're trying to pretend like we're perfect. And Jesus is saying, just admit that you're not perfect. That's the first step in your healing. And, you know, I grew up in a home where the price was too high to admit that you were wrong. So we just never did. We could never admit we were wrong. And that's a, that's a really hard standard to live up to, perfection. <laughs> but that's how it was. And it was like, once I finally realized that it was okay for me to confess or to admit that I had done something wrong, that was so freeing for me. To just be able to go, you know what, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gossiped about that person. I shouldn't have raised my voice. I shouldn't have been impatient. I shouldn't have thought that that judgmental thing, right? It's just so much easier to just say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's so much more freeing. And that's what Jesus is concerned about. He wants us to be free, free to be ourselves, to be the people that he created us to be, to become childlike and believe that he is going to develop us into the people that we were formed and created and called to become. Because we're all called to be more like him. And when you think about the God who is love has called us to become like him, you know, you realize he will always put you, I, I, I feel like there are people that God specifically puts in our lives. I call them the exfoliators. <laughs> Do you know what exfoliating is? <laughs> or your feet. <laughs> That's kind of gross. But <laughs> those are the people that sand us down. I believe the Lord allows those people into our lives to test us and to show us how unloving we can actually be, right? <laughs> Is that true? Anybody have an exfoliator in your life? Don't point to anyone, please. <laughs> but we all do, don't we? And I, I feel like the Lord does that on purpose because he wants us to realize we are desperate for him. He wants us to realize that we need a physician. He wants us to know that we're sick, 
that we have this disease called sin, called selfishness. And he wants to heal us. He wants to set us free from that so that we can be more like him, so we can be more loving, so that we can hang out with people that aren't like us or people that the world rejects. Those are the most important people to Jesus. The kids and the people who are broken. That's who he's calling us to love. Not to just love the people who have their act together and have a lot of money and can, you know, take us on vacation with them. He's, he's calling us to love the people that are hard to love. He's calling us to be filled with his spirit so that we can go out and love a world who is so broken and desperate to be loved. That's what he's calling us to. He's saying, if you think you're so much better than everyone else, you've totally missed the point. And that's what the religious leaders were. They didn't think that they needed to be healed. They didn't think they needed a physician. And Jesus is saying, it's the people who are willing to admit, you know what? I have a hard time loving other people. I have a hard time telling the truth. I have a hard time getting set free from my addiction. I have a hard time, whatever it happens to be. That is when we can call on the name of the Lord. And then it says, that's when we'll be saved. When we call on the name of the Lord. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous. See, what Jesus is implying here is they think that they're righteous, but the things that they're dealing with, you know, there's, there's actually a comparison he uses. He calls them whitewashed tombs. They're like on the outside, they're clean and white and they look so beautiful, but it, he says inside there's nothing but death and decay. And he's calling us not to be like that. He's calling us to live our lives in the light, to come into the light and admit when we're wrong, confess our sins to each other, call on his name. That's what he's calling us to do. Jesus came. He didn't come just to save those who admit that they're sinners, though. He came to save those who are religious, but he also recognizes that until they can admit that, they're, that they need a savior, they will never come to him. I mean, Jesus' hope is that even these Pharisees and these religious people would humble themselves and would get to the point where they would fall on their knees before a holy God. That is what he's hoping. You know, it's so funny. My husband, Eric, I don't know how many of you know his story. For those of you who have been here for any length of time, you heard it, but he was a cocaine dealer who... Um, he was a professional soccer player, and um, he was a number one draft choice in the nation, had his whole future ahead for him. You know, he thought he had it made, and then he ruptured his Achilles tendon, ending his career. Shortly after that, he got a job as a professional cocaine dealer <laughs> and, you know, started living that lifestyle, you know, with, he had a, a gun and, you know, working with the cartel from Colombia. I mean, he was, he was a tough guy. And yet, he was yearning to know love. He was longing to know that he was approved of and accepted and loved. 
So in classic God fashion, God gets hold of this guy's heart, totally blasts him, zaps him, changes his entire life, changes him with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Eric, he used to laugh about it. He's like, and then God calls me to come to Utah to tell people how to live lives that please God. (laughs) I mean, how unlikely a guy is that? To tell people how to honor God, how to love God, right? But that's how God is. God's a God of paradox. He's he's a God who does things the opposite of what we think. We would think that if Jesus was really that holy, he would not hang out with those disreputable sinners. We would think, oh no, Jesus is going to be with the, the religious leaders and the important people. But no, Jesus is with the scum. Turn to your neighbor and go, she's talking about you. No, don't really do that. <laughs> and, and for me too, some of you know my story. I was, you know, I was on the outside, I was a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, I was this honor student and, you know, had, you know, toured with this world famous choir and everything. But in the background, I was dealing drugs, using drugs, sleeping around, stealing, lying, all these things. And yet, same here. I was yearning for love. I was yearning for acceptance. I was actually yearning for forgiveness because I I was carrying around the weight of my own sin. And I would try to justify it and try to pretend to everyone else that I was healthy, that I didn't need a doctor. But deep down, I would always say, in the blackest of night, I knew who I was. And that's how we all are. We know who we really are. And it says in Romans, all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Basically what that means is that none of us are perfect, which should be so easy to admit, shouldn't it? It should be so easy to admit, you know what? I'm sick. I can't heal myself. I need a doctor. And Jesus is like, I am the doctor. I am the great physician. I am the one who can heal you of the the worst disease that you could ever have, which is that of sin. The disease of sin is the one that will lead to eternal death, eternal destruction. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. And he even said about all of these things that the religious leaders were talking about, the, the whole, the, Ju- um, the laws of Judaism and everything that they taught, Jesus was saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And he's saying, I have a new way. The new thing is, just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love other people. He said, That's, that'll take care of everything else. All of these other things are going to be taken care of. And so, moving on, talking about fasting. So, the, so the, it says that once John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came to Jesus and they said, hey, why don't your disciples do that? Why don't they fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees? See, what was happening at the time was the Pharisees had imposed this upon themselves. This wasn't even in the law. They fasted twice a week. They fasted on Mondays and on Thursdays, every single week. But it didn't say that in the Levitical law. It only said that to to fast on the Day of Atonement. But they took it upon themselves. They were going to fast twice a week and prove just how righteous they were. And John's disciples, I'm not necessarily sure why, but they, they were also fasting. 
And so then the people are comparing him. They're like, hey, how come, how come your disciples don't do that? And this is what Jesus said. Do the wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. Now, a little historical background here. Weddings in this day and age were amazing. They lasted for days and sometimes even weeks. They would go on and on. It was the party of the century. (laughs) Every wedding was a huge celebration. And so Jesus is saying, what would that be like to get invited to this huge celebration where they're going to have all these succulent meals and food and great, you know, just delectables and to come in there and say, oh no, I'm fasting. Jesus is saying, you wouldn't do that. Not while you're with the groom. But Jesus also knew that he was going to pay for the sins of the world, that he was going to go to the cross. He knew this in advance. So he knew there would come a time of mourning and fasting when his disciples would fast. But during this time, he had just called all these disciples to come and follow him. And his thing is, you know, a lot of these guys, if I started imposing these religious restrictions on them, they would miss the whole point, which is about relationship. And that's still the point today is that Jesus loves you and he has a plan for your life. Jesus is good and he is for you and he wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to just jump through all these religious hoops and earn his love. He already loves you perfectly, but he wants to set you free. He wants you to be free to be able to worship him and to know who you were created to be. That is what he is all about for you. He's for you. Um, Jesus says in verse 20, someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. But he's basically saying, I'm not about imposing these religious restrictions. And I still feel like some of us, we, we get so caught up in doing religious things or, or doing things things for God that we miss the whole point. The whole point is he wants us to hang out with him. He wants to speak to us. He wants us to know his word, but he also wants to speak to us by his spirit. He wants to heal us. He wants to heal our emotional brokenness. He wants to heal our relationships. He wants to heal us physically, but we miss the whole point sometimes, don't we? And so the most important thing is faith. Mark verse two or chapter two, verse 21. He says, besides who would patch old clothing with new cloth for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. That's what happened to these jeans. I tra- <laughs> <laughs> Verse 22, it says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now this seems kind of obscure to us, but at the time they totally understood what he was talking about. See, what they would do is they would take the carcass of a goat and they would try to pull all of the skin off of the animal to make this lovely um, wineskin. And it was fresh and it was new. So when they would put the wine in, it was unfermented wine. And when it would ferment, it would expand. And, and also the wine skin would expand with it. So once it had been used up like that, 
it would burst if you'd ever try to recycle. <laughs> Back in those days, they didn't recycle carcasses. So they would pour it in there, and it would have to be new wine in a new wineskin. Because if they'd take an old wineskin and pour the new wine into it, it would explode. <laughs> Jesus wants new wineskins. <laughs> But that is the case. He wants us to put away our old religious ways of thinking. He wants us to put away the lies from our past. He wants us to put away curses that have been spoken over us and lies that have been spoken over us. And he wants us to receive these new wineskins. He wants us to become new wineskins. He wants us to be born again. And he wants us to be filled with his spirit. Because he's saying, if you try to put... The, the new covenant, the new laws into place, which is loving God with all your heart and loving other people as yourself. This is, this is the only thing that he cares about. And, and this really, when you think about it, if you're loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can love other people. Sometimes it's a challenge, but he will give you the ability to love those people. And when we treat other people the way that we would want to be treated, that is what matters to God. And in doing so, we can also be filled with his spirit and with his presence. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to walk with him with a new way, not with the old religious things, not with all of the, you have to do this and this and this and this and this and 600 and some things. He's saying, no, just love God. Love me and love other people. And that way you'll fulfill the law. And that's what he's calling us to do. He wants us to, to be those new wineskins. And, and I also want to say this too. If you have been a Christian for a long time and you're stuck in religion, try something new in your relationship with the Lord. In other words, if you, you know, every day you've always had quiet time at the same time every day, you always read this many chapters and you always do it this way, break away from that and let the Lord lead you in a new way of walking with him and a new way of dwelling in his presence. And here's another thing. As you remember that he's good and he's for you, remember that he's always with you too. He's promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. He's promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Can you stand as we pray? Lord, we come before you and we thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank you that you are for us. We thank you that you are faithful. And Lord, right now, um, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just cast our cares on you because we know that you care for us. Can you just take whatever your worries or concerns or anxieties are right now and can you just say, Lord, I want to be childlike. I want to believe that you are good. I want to believe that you're for me. Lord, we thank you that you are the king of our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you have promised that you would lead and guide us into all truth. Jesus, we thank you that you came to set the captives free, that you came to deliver us. Jesus, we thank you that you were the perfect and spotless lamb 
that bore the sin of the whole world, Lord, and that you went to the cross for us, for our guilt and for our shame, Lord, so that we could be free, so that we could receive that forgiveness and we could walk with you. Lord, we just invite you to move by the power of your Holy Spirit. We invite you to speak to us, Lord. God, we thank you that you call us your children. And we thank you that you are a perfect dad. Lord, I pray right now for any, anybody who's hurting on this day. Lord, I know Mother's Day can, can be a painful day for some people, whether they've lost their mother or lost children or kids have walked away from you or they're estranged. Lord, I just pray for those hearts that are broken today. Jesus, say you would heal them, that you being the great physician would come in and heal. Restore hope, Lord. Pour out your spirit in this place, Lord, and bless the people that are here and bless those who couldn't make it today for for whatever reason, Lord. Pour out your spirit. Unify our hearts, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.